everybody, welcome to the Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan, and each week I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming. Before you listen to this week's show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. On this week's show, I'll be discussing Star Trek First Contact with Chris O'Malley. Let's roll the film. Star Trek First Contact was released in 1996 from director Jonathan Frakes. Written by Gene Roddenberry, Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Ronald D. Moore, the film stars Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, LeVar Burton, Michael Dorn, Gates McFadden, Marina Sirtis, James Cromwell, and Alice Creed. I've been promoted from. They call me chief, so you know. It's yeah, a big what day was for your, me. What was your? Were you an ensign prior to that? Well, I wouldn't be promoted. Ensigns, officer, chiefs, or warrant officers, which aren't listed. Yeah. So it'd be a demotion if I were to go that way. Yeah. But not in pay, though. So he, O'Brien's below an ensign. Well, so there's two. There's actually three. I can't believe we're explaining this, but there are three parallel paths in uh-huh. military structure. There's officers, and in the Navy, it's ensign. You know, lieutenant commander, lieutenant, lieutenant commander, commander, captain. And then there's the enlisted side, which are like petty officers and like seamen. (laughs) And then like there's what's called warrant officers, which are like specialized quality, but they're not actual officers, but they're not actually enlisted. And then they have their own separate path. There's five levels. And then Chief O'Brien is Mm -hmm. part of that third one. Okay. Gotcha. In case anyone cared. I probably explained that incorrectly. So if you're military people can correct me. I'm only an army civilian. I'm okay. sure. Oh, if I were to delete that. Yeah. Fine. Take two. No, take one. We already started though. No, we didn't. You said it won't be in there. Right. I'm confused. Well, Picard. I would mean if it was take two, I would stop. And then I would oh God. Well, Don't pet Picard's bald head. <laughs> I'll just hear <laughs> like what is that guy? What is that guy doing for this right? show? Well, he's just he's petting. He's, who knows? If I call it Picard. So we just watched Star Trek: First Contact, amazing movie, which you chose, of course, because my guest always chooses the movie. Yes, he, he or she does. He or she does. So, of course, the first question is, why did you choose Star Trek: First Contact? Well, for two reasons. The first reason being, it was. So I want when you said you want to do this, I want to do the Star Trek movie because that's like what our history is. And two, I think this is the first one we've seen like on opening night because I don't think we saw Generations on opening night. Yeah, I don't remember either way. But I remember seeing this one and being like at the end all excited. And then we were old enough to go to First Contact on ourselves. opening night, right? With, with like our own cars, we right. could afford it. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't like we were like, "Mommy, can you drop me off?" Kind of thing. Right. Right. Well, that, and like you said, you wanted to do The Saint, and The Saint we could have done because you've watched it millions of times, but I want to do a Star Trek movie. Yeah, which makes sense because that is that is our history, yes. Star Trek. So I figured, you know, I'd pick the best of the Star Trek Next Generation movies. And it is the best. Yes. Easily. Absolutely. Uh, so also what we do every episode is we uh, go into some behind-the-scenes trivia. I get these from imdb.com, and uh, these are just some little nuggets of truth. Or nougats of truth. Nougats of truth. Yes, say. we ate candy while we watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so nougats is fitting in that sense. So uh, Michael Dorn, Brent Spiner, Gates McFadden, and Jonathan Frakes have all been quoted as saying that this was their favorite of all the Star Trek films that they made. Oh, I can I completely imagine that. Yeah. And I'm sure at this point, even though uh, they might not have been quoted as saying such, I'm sure other people in the cast oh, Yeah, agree. like Patrick Stewart and Marina, because I think that's all you left out. Uh, Marina was in there. Oh, no, she uh, wasn't. No, uh, okay. no. Uh, yeah, but it's 
the majority of almost everybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is an interesting one. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was considered for the role of Zephram Cochran. Oh, instead of James Cromwell, mm -hmm. huh? Hanks being an avid Star Trek fan. Knew that. I did not know oh, that. Yeah. Really? He's huge sci-fi. Uh, was receptive to the part, but had to pass due to his commitment to directing and starring in That Thing You Do. Oh, I think he totally missed that. Well, That Thing You Do is a, is a decent movie. And I think he uh, he got some critical acclaim for that. Yeah. But to be in a Star Trek movie, if you're a Trekkie... I, I think Tom Hanks would have not played the Zephyr Cochran character as well as James Cromwell did, because he was like a bitter... Yeah. Then like you see at the end, he turns... I can't and, imagine Hanks doing that. He would keep it the humor part, but mm -hmm. I mean, he's a great actor. He probably could have pulled it off if you right. asked him to. But I mean, obviously, seeing the movie and knowing that, you know, Jimmy Cromwell did it, like, obviously, it's the perfect way it was going to be. Right, right. And know. Cromwell had that, like, gruff quality yeah. to him that Hanks is more, like, shiny and vibrant. Like, yeah. It's a harder. I, I'm sure he could. Well, of course. I mean, it's it, a brilliant actor. Right. So, I mean, but it would have been very oh, yeah. different. I did not know that, though. Uh, the character of the Borg Queen was created because the writers were having difficulty in writing dialogue for what was intended to be the Borg's central computer. Just talking to Data? Yeah, so it wouldn't have oh, necessarily weird. actually have been a humanoid character. Would How have would they have done the end then with all the plasma locating? Or, well, I guess all the Borg could have died, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, who would have made up with Data? That <laughs> Some random Borg <laughs> Well, dude. yeah, things must have been very different in the script yeah, prior. Yeah. But maybe that's, like you said, why they were having so much difficulty is because how would they do this and how would they do yeah. this? And so, so obviously we solved their problem for them. Yeah. Good job, us. Uh, one of the reasons Jonathan Frakes was chosen to direct was because the producers wanted someone who understood Star Trek. Indeed, amongst the cast, he was the show's most prolific director. Reportedly, Ridley Scott and John McTiernan both turned down the chance to Can you imagine this. if Ridley Scott, it'd be like Gladiator, all the board would have been Gladiator. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. would have been that? And yet, the alien influences in this movie are evident. Obviously. Yeah, so many things they borrowed from hilarious. the alien Well, franchise. that, and then, like, I think the soundtrack would have been, like, ten times more, like, <laughs> intense. You like, can't go screwing with a Star Trek soundtrack. No, you can't, though. but if you get Ridley Scott in there, he's going to be like, oh, let me let me bring my guy that did Gladiator for yeah, me, yeah. you know I mean? Hans Zimmer. Well, Hans Zimmer, well, he did every, he's done everything. He did Gladiator. Yeah, he's done everything. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Either that or, you know, you bring, who's the guy, John, uh, guy that did Star Wars. John Williams. John Williams. I can't believe it. Wow. Flaked on that. on that one. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this movie, James Cromwell became the first actor in Star Trek history to actually utter the exact phrase, Star Trek. Yeah, I noticed that. And no one, uh, the, in the final episode of The Next Generation, Q says, you're Trek through the stars. But he this is the first Star time Trek. Star Trek is actually uttered huh. in a movie or a TV show. That is interesting. I right? did not know that. Uh, the eyepiece of one of the Borg contains the front canopy of a Star Wars TIE fighter toy made by Kenner. Also, the eyepieces of the Borg flash the Morse code of the names of people associated with the production. Really? Yeah. That's that. See that that kind of stuff that I love. That I about love movies. that stuff. Yeah, the little things that they and sneak no one in. Noticed at that the you same even time, you're that. like, it's awesome that they did that. But how much time did they invest into doing that? Well, pro <laughs> I mean, they probably had they can program an LED to do whatever. I mean, it's probably not all on camera. Like you can't like well, right. It's not like playing for the whole scene. But the fact that someone thought of that, right, a right. they have way too much time on their hands. Yeah. But b they must really love their job. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of fun you can have with a movie, right? Uh, Jody LaForge's visor is replaced in this movie with ocular implants. This is the first time yeah, that happened. LeVar Burton lobbied for years to have his visor replaced so people could see his eyes because he felt it always limited his acting ability. 
Well, that I'm sure, like actually walking around with that damn thing in his face, he can't see. Right. It's like walking in a crab. He said many times that like it like cuts off his peripheral vision and makes it harder for him to see what he's doing. Mm. And I can't even imagine all those years having to wear that. Yeah. I only had to do it for a short parody video that we did. <laughs> it was annoying. And that right? was annoying enough. Alice Krieg, the board queen, suffered much discomfort throughout the film. Her costume was too tight, causing blisters, and the silver contacts she had to wear were so painful they could only be kept in for four minutes at a time. That's crazy. Plus, like it was only half her body. Mm. I mean, the rest of it was all fake. So, I mean, she had to walk around with just her chest up. That was right, crazy. Right. No, actually, that that probably would. Imagine sucked. having to stop though, like every, every four, four minutes. minutes. That's insane. That's crazy. She doesn't wear contacts, or they specialize like contacts they yeah they must have been like really weird ones or maybe like reflective or something uh but they were just really painful ilm animators created several new classes of federation ships for the huge cgi animation sequence against the borg oh yeah classes include the akira saber steam runner and others in addition the ilm animators had a little bit of fun with this by placing a shot of the millennium falcon from star wars in the battle Ah, I did which not can be that. seen in several DVD versions of the film. We have to go back and watch that. I know, right? That'd be pretty funny. Apparently, there's a website where you can go and actually just see a screenshot of it. Of it, yeah. yeah and I'll take that. And I'll put it in the show notes for the episode so people can see that. Oh, I was going to watch it again. And uh, <laughs> you can do that too. Uh, last piece of trivia: the Enterprise E Sick Bay is a redress of the Sick Bay from Star Voyager, Trek Voyager, yeah. which we mentioned. While I totally we were call that actually watching the uh, yeah. movie. So, and there are the other Voyager cameos, like we said, Robert Picardo, and there's the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ethan, Ethan Phillips, Phillips as the, the guy at the hotel, yeah, hotel uh, welcomer or whatever he was. You call him Maitre D, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the movie itself starts off with uh, some horror elements right away, like a tricky one because you think he wakes up from the nightmare mm-hmm. and then he goes to wash his face and he's still in the nightmare. They so do it's the like, Inception it's level. The inception. So obviously Christopher Nolan's like, let me start your movie up for you. <laughs> Uh, but like the the eyeball put like eyeball stuff drives me crazy every oh, yeah, time. I know you 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 were flinching on the couch watching that. Yeah, one. like the even eyeball though we've seen it how many how many times we've it seen it doesn't matter. Yeah, like to touch the eye, like I can't even think about putting contacts in. Dude, that's why I had to lace it because I couldn't do that. Right. So the eyeball poke and then the cheek bursting thing. Like already, this is a much darker, creepier Star Trek movie, mm-hmm. which is weird that it's also the one I like the most, being that I don't care for horror stuff as much. I I, I don't know if you can qualify that as horror. It's more as like psychological Yeah, horror, this is more psychological. Which is more what you prefer. Right, right. There's, there's anyway. no like heavy gore or anything. This is more psychological well, there stuff. There are Borg. Heavy Borg. Heavy Borg. Kind of sound like gore. Which are very much like zombies, which I also don't like. Yeah. In my mind, that sounded better, but no. <laughs> Uh, the exposition to explain the science of things, like the time vortex wake, which is for these actors, Star Trek always does. It's got to be like second nature. It's like it's like reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. They say it every other episode. So when I was like, oh, here we go, time travel, we've been protected. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, that's on with the movie. Like, you if you had never seen Star Trek before, you probably would have missed out. Like, how did that happen? But having seen it, you're like, oh, you're almost on like sleep mode. This happened. Okay, what's next? Let's move on. They didn't have to waste any dialogue on that. Right, and and Star Trek is. It's a dialogue-heavy yeah. franchise anyway. Sure. But uh, to qualify something with a line or two of exposition, I'm totally cool with. Yeah. So that people don't go, well, this was dumb or this was dumb after. Like, they explained it. It took two seconds, well, and we moved on. You know that there's some 40-year-old dude living in his mom's basement not showering who's up online right now arguing against what the real of the movie. But right, right. That's obviously not us because I don't live with my mom. And it sets the stakes <laughs> so well, like, at the beginning of the movie. Like, they've seen the entire Earth. Yeah. 
assimilated to Borg, and they're the only ones that can possibly mm-hmm. do anything at this point because they were the only ones in the wake of the time mm-hmm. stream. Yeah. So that's great. So good writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) We mentioned, too, while we were watching, computer make 21st century clothing. (laughs) In the turbo lift. Yeah. Okay. Like, no specifics as to size, how many, for who. It's such a When do they put it on? Is it, like, waiting for them in, like, a a closet rack outside the transporter room? Or, like... Is it put onto their bodies as they're transporting? That would have been cool. Right? What happens to their old clothes? Exactly. But the... uh, as as I listen to Mission Log, another Star Trek podcast, uh, they they too are always befuddled by how vague you can be with computer commands and, they just and get the exact design that you want or outcome that you want. Like yeah. I think about, I wish Siri were that good, or Cortana. <laughs> either way, I think about the episode where, uh, and I know we're branching out from the movie, but I'm assuming people listening to a Star Trek movie episode have some past knowledge well, the head better because i don't the want them listening if they're not <laughs> so the <laughs> i always think about the episode when they're on the holodeck they've all had that experience in like the chair uh-huh. and they're trying to recreate the chair that they've seen in their nightmares oh yeah and they're asking for give it a metal texture or flatback and it seems to know roughly almost exactly what they want uh-huh. even though they're not being super specific and i'm like well how much is the computer just interpolating meaning and yeah. intent and everything and well, where I'm are they sure, getting all the details I'm sure from? too. I mean they, they, they didn't want to film that episode for Infinity so they probably no, had no. like yeah, they but would it have been I, really honestly I, I liken it to and I've never done this and but if you go t- to give us like a police officer a sketch artist mm-hmm. kind of thing you give a description of a person like there are I'm sure there are certain common things sure you sure. know like if you say this person's like a, a white male like their eye shape is then like only could be so much so it could be some some level of like these are the most common yeah. elements yeah so let me narrow it down like for cause you. and effect kind of thing yeah. but I mean yeah no, that's a good point I mean I just thought we, we didn't think it was funny because it's like you know oh and I want a beer like it, can you imagine right, that's what it right. was you know like that, that's essentially what he's saying well, I mean like, you could say make 21st century clothing and all of a sudden Picard's wearing a dress like yeah. how does it know speaking of I hope you know our future as earthlings and humans that we dress so much better than what we've seen in the movies and so Picard far. wears his dress uniform too and that's almost like a dress so yeah that's <laughs> roughly true. the same anyway well, he's an old man, so he has like hunkered up his pants and yeah. stuff like that. That that obviously has not changed in, in, in millennia. No. Everyone's still old people hike up their pants because, you know, I don't know, they're old. Despite uh Data's abilities and like his his strength and all the, the physical things he can do as an android, like they always use data for his mental capacity. Sure. And what he can do as a computer. Uh, but he rarely uses the physical advantages for like action sequences. But in this movie, especially like dropping he did down throw Borg. Yep. At other Borg. Yep. He dropped down like 80 stories. Dropping down the shaft. The silo, taking yeah. the bullets to the back. Which I thought was hilarious. Terminator. Uh, well, yeah. There's so many uh, connections to Terminator. Even at the end when yeah. Picard's holding the Borg Queen's head. I look at that. I'm like, okay, that's Robert Patrick right there with the Terminator. Just, you know, <laughs> snap, snap. Snap it. Done. Okay, what's next? Yeah. Like, I'm waiting for Toronto to say, are you Sarah Connor? Like, that's really what I was waiting right. for. But yeah. Which uh, would, it would feel even more so like blatant parody or pulling from the Terminator yeah. franchise, except for the fact that Data turns around and says, greetings. Yeah, I know. Like, hey. <laughs> and immediately brings us back yeah, around. Uh, yeah. Which I thought, I mean, I, I of this movie too, I think the level of humor versus drama versus content was a it was a great balance in the other Star totally. Trek movies. Totally. Because Generations, I mean, it was funny, but it lagged a lot. I mean, there were some... 
like blatantly funny things that you had to laugh at, mm-hmm. like almost awkward humor. And then like with um, Insurrection and Nemesis, like you just don't see that. No. I mean, there was just like grizzle humor, but like this one was a great balance that I think really made the movie. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're you're balancing between the the technical, the action, the drama, and then you, you still have the humor at the right time. Mm-hmm. Like you still you, have, you go through all those emotions during this movie more so than the other ones. Well, this movie too had a great. A plot and B plot. Yeah. So there were multiple. Th- so in the A plot, when you have the the Borg assimilating the Enterprise and doing all that stuff, that's super interesting. And then you also have the B plot of the Zephram Cochran getting mm-hmm. him out and actually doing the first uh, warp flight. But we were saying too beforehand, even though the movie is called First Contact, whenever I think about it, I think primarily about the stuff happening on the Enterprise, mm-hmm. specifically the sequences between the Borg Queen and Data, even though that's such a small part of the movie, mm-hmm. the the stuff with Data is very limited. Yeah. As to how much of the movie it actually takes up, but it's that's the like stuff that stands plot, out to me. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that it, I'm sure it also helps to have the amazing cast of, I don't know how many Academy Award nominees are in that. Right. Aside from the regular crew in the cast. I yeah. Mean, we said, too, before, there are a lot of horror movie elements in this, specifically a lot of the shots that they choose to yeah. use. They use that angular shot a lot when they're trying to show like an uneasy situation. Mm-hmm. They have the parts where the Borg are starting to assimilate people on the Enterprise. I mean, they like even had a... things into their neck. Yeah, and like, yeah, they even had a horror movie scream by that crewman yeah. as she was going up the uh, the ladder. And then all of a sudden, the like Jeffrey's you just tubes. see the Jeffrey's tube and you see the quick zoom in. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a classic horror yeah, movie yeah. thing. So we even had like a scream queen really quick. <laughs> I wonder if they use the same like scream, you know, one they use in all the horror flicks from forever ago. Yeah. Hitchcock and case. I think I remember uh, Jonathan Frakes saying something like he watched things like Alien uh-huh. and Terminator. And oh, all that's the all over that are Alien. Very evident. I mean that, yeah. yeah. Totally for uh, influences in this. Um, Picard's definitely at his coldest when dealing with the board. And I, I, I thought that like to me, his whole that whole sequence of him – Essentially being Ahab from Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can just tell a man's a brilliant actor, but he played it so well. Yes. I mean, and for him, I mean, that's nothing for him. He takes a breath and does it every day. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a Shakespearean. Yeah. But I mean, like, I I think think more so than anybody else on that screen, you really felt it and saw it from, especially at the end when they're in the observation lounge and they're Mm -hmm. talking about it going through it. And then you have that little inject of humor from Alfred Warder saying, I actually never read it. Right. You know, she's like throwing it, you know, just just, exactly. And it's just like, and like, and then, you know, he even quotes the end where Ahab finally meets his whale and is, you know, injecting his life on there and then it destroys the ship kind of thing. But yeah. But it's really shown and established early on in the movie where you see the crewman asking for help. Uh-huh. And like reaching out to Picard, like please help me, and his solution without hesitation uh-huh. is to just him. kill him. Well, he did say earlier too, like, "Hey, look, you know, you'll be doing them a favor right, by doing this." Right. But no one would have thought of that. But then he's just like, "Yeah, the like, curate, almost Borg-like in pulling the trigger." Yeah, it's so opposite of the yeah. Picard we've seen in everything uh-huh. else. He can, he's just so cold when dealing with the Borg, and it is like a zombie mentality. Yeah, like they've turned. There's no saving them. And yet, you would think he would be sympathetic because he was a Borg that was turned and then brought back. Yeah, but I think I think it, you'll see. You know, he was the lucky one because no right. one other has. Very you know. true. They also dealt with Hugh, though. That's true. Who never... was Borg and then became individualized, and so he's almost human, I guess. Yeah, but I suppose. So it's 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 interesting. Way to, to ruin see. my theory. <laughs> it's interesting to see <laughs> that he's still just that 
angry and bitter and everything. Well, I mean, again, it's the, there's a sub theme there of revenge throughout the entire movie that, you know, he has to grow from that. And how many people can relate to that? Yeah. You know, it takes a while to forgive and forget and, and to get over your wanting to, to cause it. But again, I think it comes back a little bit when he like he tears the 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 spine off the the robot head there. I mean, but mm-hmm. at that time too, like what else are you gonna do with beeping? It's kind of annoying, right? Right. <laughs> but I mean, same thing you would do to your alarm clock if it wouldn't leave you alone. Just basically, smash it. Yeah, because you can spy a new one. This is uh, way more action oriented than any Star Trek thing up to this point. Well, I think there's there's action like from a hand-to-hand like combat mm-hmm. type deal right, thing exactly. weapons like even the ships like there's just a lot of moving parts more so i mean you had a little bit i mean you're supposed to have a lot in insurrection but they had like one or two scenes when they're on the planet you know trying to save the little people mm-hmm. um and then like nemesis obviously is designed to be like that but it's only in almost the final scenes where there's actual yeah that level of action but i mean this had law. I mean, it has. This uses it sparingly here and there and all to great effect. Spreads it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think also, too, like this movie more than anyone, you really felt and understood the threat more. I mean, oh, everyone totally. understood more than like, you know, the other, even some of the episodes, like everyone knows the Borg. They know like they're relentless and they're right. designed to be relentless and there's no stopping them. The stakes felt higher and they felt a lot more personal because it was Earth under siege as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Picard was like full on action hero in this. Like, between the the Tommy gun blasting and an actual rope swing yeah. near the end of the movie, like he did, he hit all the action hero cliches. I was waiting for someone to throw him like an Indiana Jones hat and a whip just in case he needed it, right. but like just appearing from off stage or that would have a really big rolling rock ball chase him down one of the the, the corridors or something. But right. I guess that they, no time for love, that, Captain Picard. That must have got cut out or something like that. They're looking for the Holy Grail, and you know, it just got. Those are all the deleted scenes. <laughs> yes, uh, Worf's. And speaking of like action cliches, Worf's assimilate this line was either poorly delivered or just felt so out of place for a Star Trek movie. Yeah, it was almost like, you know, like it, it was almost cringeworthy. Yeah, it was if it, I would relate it to, you know, some Jersey asshole grabbing his crotch, you know, <laughs> as you drive by or something like that. That's what it, I mean. I mean, that, that was that's also that level of humor that some people may have thought that was funny. But like. Right. I mean, it's amusing. Yeah, but it just felt so it felt weird, so out of place. Like the shot alone and just blowing it up. That's much more Worf. He yeah. he's not like a <laughs> drop a snarky yeah, one exactly. before doing something type. The exchange between Picard and Worf about destroying the Enterprise, uh-huh. great. I love the Worf line where he says, "If you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand." Yeah, that's Worf. Well, that and you have to understand too. Like they, you know, their characters have a. A huge history where you know Picard stood for him when he lost his honor. He's been through the entire time, and part of it too, like that, also shows the respect that they give to Picard. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he was like, "No, we're not going to leave," everyone was complaining, but the moment he made up his mind, they just they did it. They felt you know, mind, and, and yeah. that and and that's a level of respect there. And then when he came back and said, "You know, I regret some of the things I said to you," and Worf's like, "Well, some of them," like almost being mad that you didn't. And then when he's like, "I think you're the bravest man I've ever met," like that just ends it. Right? Like, he's like, "Okay." That's exactly what he needed to say at that moment in time to that character mm-hmm. to make him understand to a Klingon that's everything. Like you're you have honor. Like yeah. I don't care if I made fun of your mom. And that's what it was. They shook hands. Like so I kind of wish there was a little more of an apology there, but I think for the characters it was exactly what needed to be said. Yeah, and I think the relationships established up to this point make that unnecessary because they completely understand each other. Yeah. And like 
Picard's history with helping Worf out in so many ways mm-hmm. uh, with the Klingon Empire and things and the, the roles that he stepped into like completely balance out that any, no human had ever been in before. Right, exactly. And then like the amount of time when he, you know, when all that stuff happened and Worf was like, okay, well now what do I do? He's like, well, come on back. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, all right, you're, you're working tomorrow night. Which also makes me wonder, and it, this is probably a hard question for us to answer because it's so ingrained into who we are at this point. I wonder what this movie would be like for somebody who's never seen anything Star Trek before. Like if they were just hopping That's into this movie and trying to enjoy it as a first time watcher, like what are they missing out on? Uh, what still works? Like I, I feel like it has all the components of a movie. Sure. But I don't know how much it relies on past knowledge and past relationship kind of like building. Well, the, 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 the relationships that the characters have in the history would be lacking. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if it, and if you're just watching this movie the first time, you would never expect you know one officer to say to a superior officer, "I'm gonna kill you" or "I would kill you." Right, like, right. That doesn't happen. But then, like the relationship, the, the humor that they have, the inside jokes, like you know, all that kind of stuff, you you wouldn't get. You could pick up on right. it because it's obvious if you're watching a movie you haven't seen before. Who and, and movies do this really well to show who meshes well with other, especially if they're going to create conflict later, because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of watching the movie and get you to pay attention. But I think that would have been missed. I think the seriousness of the the the, the threat, like you mm-hmm. said, the, the stakes are higher, would probably have been lost a little bit. But that's probably it, because it really is. It's a pretty good standalone story, right? More so than an episode. So I, probably a little. I mean, if you had someone next to you trying to explain things to you, kind of pick it on pretty right, fast, right. kind of thing. Um, if you watch it a couple times, you probably, you know, obviously garner more knowledge, yeah, not having not seen it at all. But if if you're coming in, you know, new to this, I think that that, that would be the best one to watch. There are some elements that I think would be particularly interesting for somebody that has no background in it. For one, not knowing Picard's relationship with the Borg mm-hmm. and knowing that he was Ocutus, like he doesn't go into the exposition and explanation of that Til until end, later really. in the movie. Yeah. yeah. At least, like, yeah, two thirds to three quarters. Well, of the, the way Moby Dick scene. He's like, hey, so I, was I there. wonder if someone watching for the first time is like, what crawled up this guy's ass? Like the whole movie, like, because it's it's a mystery. I mean, even in the beginning, when you show like the horror, like the horror part, you're talking about mm-hmm. the, the, when he's having the nightmare. It could just be a nightmare. You don't you don't right. know that. And then it could have been it could be somewhat of a reveal, I guess, when you figure it out, like the aha moment. Right. I'm wondering. But if I mean, that is. it it. It may or may I mean, it's I don't not. Know. It's not a question. twist, aha. It's more of like an oh, now all of his actions uh, I, I, make I, sense. I know shit. I should have been paying attention earlier, kind of thing. Right. I don't know. That that's a very good question. Yeah, I'd be curious to watch it with someone and kind of like get their take on. Let's that. go find someone right now. <laughs> right now, the exchange between Picard and Worf is followed up by that great conversation that we talked about earlier—the one between Lily and Picard, which is really the pivotal moment of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It's the, one of my favorites. It, oh, it's awesome. The the parallel that Lily draws between Picard and Captain Ahab mm-hmm. hits him particularly hard, too, because uh, if you've... And again, this isn't something that other people would know necessarily, but from the series, we see his love for classic literature. Yeah. So the fact that she's addressing something so dear to him as an example. Well, part of it, too, is, you know, he's from the future. She's not. Mm-hmm. He's talking about all, all the stuff in the future, how humans are now, and she's probably like, okay, this is something that... 
he can relate to as well. I mean, like Moby Dick is on the got to be in the top five list of if you you know talk to any human that knows anything about literature, like you know the story. Mm-hmm. So I think for her and her character, she's like I'm sick of hearing about the perfect utopian future. Like this is a great parallel that he has to understand. Like when she says they do have books in the 24th century, like that's kind of like a right. every every human knows this kind of thing. So you know, I mean that that to me when I watched that the first time, like I really. That's when I, I that that scene there. I really realized that this is a movie that that they did it well. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they they were gonna tie it up well and made sense. So even if you had never heard of Moby Dick, you get the concept of you're going after revenge, and you're at the end of the day you're destroying yourself. It isn't yeah. worth it. Yeah. You don't know when to quit. So and we were saying too that the uh, like the way Picard acts with the Borg, he's so cold and everything. And in that exchange with Lily, you see him emotionally erupt raw emotion. and you've never seen picard hit that level Ever. and he's saying the line is going to be drawn here we've mm-hmm. sacrificed so much and he's back yeah and he just loses it and which he broke the glass and the ships right and like and the and the significance of breaking the enterprise d uh-huh. again and seeing his old ship like crumble uh-huh. like yeah awesome yeah awesome everything about that scene is and fantastic. You, you see the 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 turn when he realizes okay I'm I'm being Ahab like yeah. in an instant on camera yes. he walks out of that room and he walks right up and says you know not not apologetic at first not let's get ready to go and yep. then he walks over and he makes the first thing he does is goes apologize to Worf he makes amends for what he's doing and then you can see him just more relieved when he's getting everyone on the exigate pods because he knows he's going to go into danger to get data but like yeah. he just seems more if you were to give up on some struggle of revenge, you have that that cathartic release right afterwards. He he shows that he's well. back to the Picard we know yeah. at that point. Yeah. Like he purged all the anger and all the hate and yeah, yeah. exactly yeah by breaking some glass and some gold chips. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> and we were saying too, also uh, as we were watching that Data really is a character in uh, not just the series but the movies specifically that really has sacrificed probably more than any other. Character. And I think that's developed over the the time of him playing that character too, yeah. because you see it more. I mean, he's a Brent Spiner's a phenomenally talented actor. Oh yeah, not that everybody there isn't, but like they're they're playing to his strengths the entire series mm-hmm. from the first episode when they're on the holodeck to the, yep. to the very end when spoiler alert at the end of Nemesis he dies I guess and then, you know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Put that in your little thing as spoiler alert. Because, you know, <laughs> the five-year-old movie no one's seen yet. Right. But that, that, that's played out through the entire theme of the series and the movies. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you can do it justice in a movie because you have a lot more time and in, in, in budget to play with. But he plays it well. And even even his dry humor, you know, how long were we really considering turning to the dark side? Well, 0.68 seconds. But for me, that's eternally, which right. is like that right twist of, of his act, acting ability to say, you know, well, yeah. Because, again, that's another... Ahab type deal mm-hmm. thing, like how you know, are you willing to come to the dark side to, to give into your 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 most temptation and just screw all and sacrifice everything else? And yep. of course, like everyone has that struggle, you can relate to that. Obviously, his is faster because his positronic matrix is faster than my brain. But right, everyone's been there, and we've seen so many movies, especially uh, in recent memory. I think where movies will take the innocent character, and Data is essentially an innocent. Always he's, has been. He's yeah. a child with these amazing abilities that's learning to grow up and become mm-hmm. a man. And in that sense of being innocent, when those characters sacrifice or give something, it's so much more emotional. Yeah. Well, you're, you're growing up with him. You right. know what I mean? Like you're there with him. It's like, 
you know, that, that first time that your kid stands up and does something, you know, you don't expect them to do yeah. for the better, you know, the better of, of your family. So, I mean, hey, he, like I said, he, he played it very well. I mean, it was the right part of the movie, too, like, because, you know, that, that that's the final, like, there's the twist when Picard realizes this is a bad idea and let's blow this this up and let's get out of here. And then he goes back and tries to say, like, it's just that constant roller coaster that you go through of any movie, but it, here it is, it's tied to your you know that the, you know, everyone has a Star Trek fantasy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know that that's really where the movie is good for a Star Trek fan, but also for a person that hadn't seen it. And then there's just that final blow. It's like, hey, you know, I'm I'm gonna take care of it. I'm gonna lose this skin. You know, I'm gonna lose what I need to have to to take care of my guy. And obviously, like at the end, you know that they're all playing off each other. Like he he's you know doing it the entire time. Yeah. Even the Borg Queen is like, oh, we want you back, Picard. She's really faking it. Like you don't realize it till the end. But right, right. Um, Obviously, everyone knew that this day is not going to be Borg. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on now. Seriously. That'd be like revolutions or something if that actually was like in the script, you know? I'd want my money back. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? So, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think I'm glad I picked this movie. I really am. Yeah, me I mean, too. obviously, we'll do plenty more. Yeah. But I think, you know, for, for perspective of a Star Trek movie, perspective of just a good action drama mm-hmm. kind of type deal thing it's a good one to go with and i love the cast i love jimmy cromwell in there i love alfie woodard like these people are well-renowned people they played their characters well yeah you can really relate to it the entire time and i mean at the end i mean i remember watching this when we were in the theater and i was whatever we were watching at the other college when the aliens come like, oh, who are these aliens the moment they pull off their little hood you know it's vulcan right, like right. I, I got a little tear guy i mean that. we knew they were vulcan we knew it but like it was still a good like feel good yeah. way to and end it. And the reveal was nice and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. And how they, I mean, even the music played along well with it, and the whole live long and prosper. Yep. Like it really, it it made it. It kind of tied all of it in a nice, pretty little bow. And plus, too, like having lost Leonard Nimoy recently, it kind yeah. of still is a. I thought was a little fitting tribute that we could have done. Absolutely. So I'm glad that we did it. I so, agree. I enjoyed this. I think we've got to do. I there's so many movies that we could do. So many more. <laughs> we can totally do our own so show off that more. one, but. All right, well, let's wrap up this episode, and uh, thank you for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks again to Chris for joining me this week. Random Movie Club is a production of The Geek Generation. You can get every episode along with everything else we do over at thegeekgeneration.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our flagship podcast, The Geek Generation, available both on the site and on iTunes. Thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolf's Den Music for our theme song. A link to their site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening and make sure you join us next week when we'll discuss Big Hero 6. See you then.